Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Fantastic, fantastic. We are kicking off a brand new series today called Taste and See. Mm-mm-mm. Come on, hum at me this morning. Mm-mm-mm. Come on, when you taste that gumbo, the weather has turned a little cooler, and you've got that first taste of filet gumbo, and it is mm-mm-mm. taste and see. Uh, we're going to unpack the feasts of Israel, and uh, our theme verse for this entire series is Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8, the psalmist tells us, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. C'est, c'est bon. It is good, Sha. That's the, the KJN, the Cajun translation of the verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. God is good all the time. And we're going to taste and experience the goodness of God in this series. And You know, it's so much more than just head knowledge. Now, you're going to get some head knowledge today. You're going to get a lot of information. I'll just give you a heads up. This series is going to be a little different than what you're used to. But how many know difference? Okay. It's going to be content heavy. There's going to be a lot more information than what I normally squeeze into a 32-minute message. But we're going to pack this full of scriptures. And I think it's, it's important that you hear directly from the Word of God. It's not my opinions that are going to change anybody's life. It's not my suggestions. Nobody came here today to hear the world according to Mike. They want to know the world according to this book. And it's knowing this that sets us free. You're going to grow in your knowledge over the next four or five weeks, but we also want you to experience the power and the presence of God. That's what taste and see is all about. It's not just knowing, but it's in experiencing. The feast, we're all about experiencing God's goodness. And uh, taste and see is the title that we landed on. But I thought it'd be fun to give you some honorable mentions. Okay, we kicked around different names for this series. Um, One of them was Let's Feast, uh, which I prefer over Let's Fast. I prefer feasting over fasting. Uh, Let's Feast. Another one was Soul Food. I like that. Come on. And then just give out red beans and rice on your way out, man. So food for the soul. Another, probably my favorite. This one didn't make the cut, but it was one of my favorites. Pass the pita. (laughs) Pass the pita. Come on, man. We're going to Albasha after this. Um, And then finally, we, we had the idea of calling this series Party Like Jesus. Party like Jesus. Uh, I will say this. Celebration in the scriptures, contrary to popular belief, some people out there feel that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy. That if you're going to be a a Christian, then you just have to be miserable and mean and have to forsake everything that brings joy. Celebration in the scriptures is not an option. It's a command. God commands certain festivals. Holy days is what the scripture calls them. That's where we get our term holiday. Holiday comes from holy days. In Leviticus chapter uh, 23, 
God establishes seven different parties, feasts, festivals, these holy days, and he commanded that the children of Israel observe them. He says, I want you to do no work on these days. Come on, how many like that? Just take a day off. Come on, PTO, paid time off. No, you're not going to work on this day. You're going to gather with your family and friends. You're going to eat. You're going to celebrate. You're going to sing. You're going to rejoice, and you're going to reflect on God's goodness. Come on, how many know God sounds almost Cajun, doesn't he? I think there's a, there's a part of us that can really resonate with this idea of celebration because as Cajuns in South Louisiana, we love to have a good time, don't we? Come on, with any excuse to throw a party. Football game, hey, let's tailgate. Birthday party at my house. We had a big birthday at the Haymans yesterday. My daughter turned 20 years old, 20. She's getting married in six weeks, Lord Jesus. You know what we did yesterday morning? We had a party. We gathered with family and friends. We made bacon and eggs. Come on, that's about my skill set right there. <laughs> Birthday parties, gender reveal parties, graduation parties, even hurricane parties. Do you know we do that here? Have you, have you had friends and neighbors that lost power and they got this freezer full of meat and they, it's just going to go bad, so we might as well barbecue for the whole neighborhood. Come on, somebody party. We've got a phrase here called, laissez le bon temps rouler. Let, did I do, how did I do? Did I do all right? I'm a boy from the Midwest, and I tried to go Cajun on you right there. Let the good times roll. Some of you get nervous saying, Pastor, I'm not sure about all this party talk. You know, this, it's just kind of, it feels a little inappropriate in church. Can I tell you the problem in church the problem isn't that we're too happy for God's taste. The problem is we're not happy enough. Where do you think joy and celebration came from? Oh, now look, I hadn't even got to Leviticus 23 yet. I told the, the last week, I told the 11 o'clock service this story. I didn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you now. I sat on an airplane headed from New Orleans to Colorado Springs, and they sat me next to a guy. Now, we had this phrase growing up called three sheets to the wind. <laughs> Have you heard that phrase? Okay, some of you did. At 11 o'clock, they didn't know it. Three sheets to the wind. It means drunk as a skunk. Man, he had been partying in New Orleans all weekend, and they sit me right next to him. They sit the preacher right next to him. He didn't know who was sitting next to him. And then he's talking, man, hey, man, tell him, and talking loud. Man, it wasn't a private conversation. The whole plane knew. Hey, man, I've been partying in New Orleans with my friends. I'm like, man, I kind of figured that. <laughs> and uh, well, what do you do? What, what do you do for a living? <laughs> you don't really want to know. <laughs> I get out my Bible. I start reading my Bible, and he's like just staring at me. Well, what, 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 what is that? What, what are you reading there? I said, well, it's, it's, it's the Bible. The Bible? Why are you, why you, why you grinding so hard, man? Why you? For real, that's what he said. Why you got to grind so hard? What, 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 what am I missing? Tell me, what am I, what am I missing is what he asked me. Mmm, he just opened the door, didn't he? 
And so I got a chance to talk to him for a few minutes. I ended up telling him, his name was Doug. I said, Doug, listen, I'm not looking for the next good time. Because see, those good times, they, they start and then they're over. And then you got to try to find the next one to make up for the last one. Can I tell you this? I've got a, a God who created the universe. And in this book, I find joy that's everlasting. I'm not living for this life, but I'm living for the next. Can I have a good amen? Leviticus 23, you've got this handout here. You've got this handout, okay? I want you to open this. I'm going to go teacher mode for a few moments, okay? Please hold on to this every week for the next four or five weeks. You'll look through this. I think our team did a fantastic job. Ah, it smells like school. Smell these things. They're awesome. Hot off the presses. These are the feasts of Israel, okay? Now, if you're watching online, you know, there's a digital, you have digital access to this. We're going to do fill in the blank, okay? It's going to, it's going to feel a little bit like school, but I promise you, we're going to do our best to, to in, in, interject practicality and uh, bring this thing to life. Uh, for the next five weeks, we're going to go over these, these seven harvests. You'll see they're broken down. They're grouped in a particular order, and, and I'll explain that here in just a moment. But I want to ask you to do your best to bring this every week as we track along. I, I'm introducing not only the series, but I'm going to give you the first of the seven feasts that we'll look at. And uh, you know, the, 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 the reason why this is so important, if God would command the Israelites to observe these festivals— Obviously, there was something he wanted them to know. But if it's included in Scripture, then there's something God wants us to know as well. Leviticus 23, verse 1, the Bible says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. Again, this is not optional. It's a command. These are the parties. These are the celebrations. These are the feasts that I want you to recognize. He says, the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. Now, let me give you, I want to start to fill in some blanks. And I know we've got two different groups of people here today. We've got left-brainers who see blanks, and they need every blank filled, or else they're going to lose sleep. Then we have right-brainers that are among us, and you're the creative kind of free-spirited type. You don't even realize that we have a handout today. <laughs> There's room for both left and right brain in this series, okay? Now, I'm going to try to fill in some blanks here because the feast, you're taking notes here, the feast are simply parties with a purpose. Come on, you like that? It's not just trying to have a good time to feel good, but there's a purpose behind the party. And if we're filling in blanks, really there are three different purposes for feast. They are a time of reflection. Everybody say reflection. It's a, a, a moment for us to remember what God has done. When we reflect, we remember. The, the thing about a feast is, or, or a festival in ancient days, and also in modern days, it gives us a chance to reflect and to look at the goodness of God in our past. Yesterday at my house when we celebrated Michaela, her 20th birthday, we reflected on God's goodness. 20 years he's been good to her. 
We've thought about that. I brought her home, Rachel and I, when she was born, we brought her from woman's hospital to our house in a hurricane. Literally, there, Hurricane Lily hit back in 2002. And we brought her, we reflected on what that day was like in Baton Rouge when we brought her home. And we said, baby, the last two decades, it's been a storm ever since. Party, celebrate, feast are about reflecting to remember what God has done. It's not just reflection, but it's also celebration. You celebrate to rejoice in what God is doing. So it's not only looking at your past and honoring the faithfulness of God in your yesterdays, but it's considering the favor of God on you in your today. It's to rejoice in what God is currently doing in your life, in your family. You say, but Mike, there, there's challenges, there's issues, there's struggles. I get that. But if you look close enough, you can see the goodness of God in your present. So not only is it reflection to remember what he has done, it's celebration to rejoice in what God is doing. And then finally, it's expectation which means looking forward to what God has promised. Looking forward to what God has promised. You see, past, present, and future. Reflection, celebration, and expectation. Here's what God has promised, so here's what we can hold on to. Now, let me give you this scripture. I want to talk to you specifically today about the Feast of Passover, okay? The specific Feast of Passover. Colossians chapter 2 Here's what Paul reminds us about the feast. He says this in verse 16. So let no one judge you. There's no judgment zone here. Nobody's going to judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival of new moon or Sabbaths, which are simply a shadow. Somebody say shadow. They're simply a shadow of things to come. But the substance, somebody say substance, is Christ himself. Now, I'm going to teach you a little bit more about why that verse is so important. Because what we're trying to do today, when we look at the feast, we are going backwards in a sense. But I'm not calling the church to Judaism. I'm not calling us to go backwards into regression. We look back to reflect. The, the, the feast, Paul said, were a shadow. But the substance is Christ. Okay, so we're going to talk about the, these feasts in the Old Testament. Why don't we recognize them today? Because we'll see the fulfillment of a lot of these in Christ himself. Are you ready? Now, let's, let's go through this handout. Passover, Passover. Here's, here's where the feast started. Now, let me give you uh, some context, and it may take just a minute, but dial in. Are you, are you ready? Are you into this? Could you please inform your face that you're into this? Some of you are like school, like, oh gosh, I'm texting. Oh, touchdown saints. Uh, you know, I, okay, stay, stay with me. Stay with me here. The feast, where it started. Here's where Passover, here's where Passover started. Exodus 11.1. 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will strike Pharaoh and the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, He'll be so eager to get rid of you that he will force all of you to leave. Now, here's the background, and this is a little familiar. Passover is going to be probably one of the most familiar feasts to most of us. A lot of this is going to be information that you recognize. But at this time in Israel's history, they had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And God raised up 
a man named Moses. And he spoke to Moses through a burning bush. And he said, Moses, you need to confront Pharaoh. I have heard the groanings of my people, and I'm ready to set them free. And so Moses confronts Pharaoh, the most powerful leader in the world at that time. And he says, Pharaoh, let God's, these are God's people. Let them go. Let them go so that they may worship him. And the Bible says Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he wouldn't do it. So God began to send plagues. There were plagues, 10 of them. There were 10 plagues that God sent. So one of them was the plague of the frogs. Another one was a plague of the flies. So one of them was plagues of, of locusts. One of them was a hailstorm. One of them was water turning to blood. There was all kinds of plagues that ravaged the nation of Egypt. And look at what it says in Exodus 12, verse 11. There was one final plague, and here's, here's what God begins to say to Moses. These are your instructions. When you eat this meal, be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. Somebody say Passover. Notice there's a meal here. He's saying, on that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. Now, here's one of my favorite verses. This is what I pray over my children every single day. Parents, grandparents, I would encourage you to, to pray this over your family daily. Verse 13, he says, but the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all times. Can I have a good amen? Now, here's why this is so significant. Of these 10 plagues that God brought against the Egyptians, the first nine were specifically against Egypt itself. And the Israelites were exempt by their own blood. It, it, the the hailstorm, the locusts, the flies, the... the, the the uh, 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 all of the, 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 the things that came against the Egyptians, the Israelites were exempt by their own blood because they were descendants of Abraham. They were heirs to the promise of God. But on the 10th plague, it wasn't their own blood that they could rely upon. They had to rely on the blood of a lamb. This is big because the first Passover in Egypt, the death angel was coming. And he was coming to every house, whether you were Israeli or whether you were Egyptian. And the angel was looking for one thing, blood. Can I tell you this? God is not looking for talent, ability, charisma, personality, influence, resume, fame. God's not looking for that. He's looking for one thing, blood. He's looking for a church and a people that are marked with blood. 
Mm -mm -mm. Now, they were eating a meal. I've never taught this, but I want to bring this to us as a church. I thought this was fascinating. God gave Moses instructions for the meal that they were to eat on that original Passover night. Now, many of you have participated in what's called a Seder. It's an ancient Hebrew meal that recognizes and commemorates the first Passover. Uh, some of the, it's a symbolic meal. When, when they eat this meal, every year at Passover, when they were eating this meal, it reminded them of the deliverance that God had provided for them out of Egypt. Now, this meal contains certain things. It's changed over the years, but there are some key elements to this meal. There were vegetables that were dipped in salt water. Okay, part of this Seder, S-E-D-E-R, is a meal that reflects the heroics of God that first Passover when they were delivered out of Egyptian bondage. Vegetables dipped in salt water, and this was representative of the tears of the slaves. I thought this was fascinating. Salt, salt water, tears. I thought, you know, God has seen the tears that you have cried. The hurt that you've experienced. The disappointment that you've walked through. Maybe through children or relationships or betrayal or, or some sort of pain. To me, I thought this was fascinating. It tells me God sees me in my suffering. And I want to tell you this. If you're here today and you're going through a season of suffering, you are not alone. The tears that you cry and the prayers that you pray, God holds it and records all of it. The vegetables dipped in salt water represented the tears of the slave. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, a Jesus who never wept could never wipe away my tears. God sees you in your suffering. And when they would eat those vegetables dipped in salt water, it was remembering the tears of their slavery. Then there was a thing called bitter herbs. This meal and this Seder, this, this Passover meal, they would eat bitter herbs, and it represented the bitterness of bondage. Man, after being bound for 400 years, for generations, all the Israelites had known was bondage. Not just tears of their suffering, but the bondage that held them captive. I thought about those who have battled addiction. Some of you are currently fighting through different addictions. Some of you have been delivered from drugs or alcohol or or sexual bondage. You know what it's like to be bound by something that you feel held hostage to. You feel like you have no power over. The Israelites were in a position where they could not free themselves. They needed a deliverer. Bitter herbs, it represented the bitterness of their bondage. Then they, part of that meal was unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. You say, Mike, what is unleavened bread? It's bread without yeast. Yeast in the scripture, anytime you'd read about yeast, it was always representative of sin. Yeast was a symbol of sin. And when they would eat unleavened bread, it was a reminder that God wanted them to have clean hands and pure hearts. He wanted them to live lives of purity. Don't live as the pagans do. You don't live like the Egyptians do with all of their foreign gods. I am the true living God, and you live your life pleasing unto me. Can I have a good amen? Unleavened bread, that that yeast represented sin. And finally, there was four cups of wine. Now, this is fascinating. Four cups of wine. Each cup represented 
a term that God would use to rescue Israel. And here's where we find this symbolized in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. Okay, are you guys, are you still with me? I know I'm giving a lot of info. I apologize, but I know you can digest this. Write it down and go back and study it. Look at what Exodus 6 says. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. That's the first cup. The first cup in this meal represents, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The second cup represents this, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. The third cup of that meal represented this, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And finally, the fourth cup is this, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession, for I am the Lord. Four cups represented four ways that God was going to rescue them. I'm going to bring you out. Come on, how many know God, he'll, he'll rescue you from some things? Man, he'll take you out of some situations, man, out of, a, out of a workplace where you feel like you're drying up and dying, out of a relationship that's killing you, it's toxic, and God's saying, I got to bring you out. Come on. God brings us out, but not only does he bring us out, he says, I will rescue you. I'm going to remove all the the remnants of, of the stain and the guilt and the shame of your past. He says, I will redeem you. The third cup, this is basically God saying, I'm going to give you me. Now, whenever in a moment, we're going to receive communion, okay? And this is the cup. This speaks to, that third cup speaks to the cup of redemption. This is the cup that we participate in at the Lord's Supper. You see the symbolism here between this Old Testament Passover and then what Jesus instituted in the New Testament. And finally, he says, I'm going to bring you into. Not only am I going to bring you out of slavery, but I'm going to bring you into a promised land. How many of you know God will bring you out to bring you in? God will snatch you out of some things to put you in some better things. Come on, I'm telling you this. Sometimes even good things have to fall apart so that better things can come together. Come on, somebody. Glory to God. Now, this last element of the meal was the slaughtered lamb. The slaughtered lamb, which represents the sacrifice, of the, which is super important. Now, that, that's, that's a little bit about the feast. In fact, that's a lot about the feast. <laughs> Let me give you the faith. Are you ready? Everybody say the faith. Here's what it teaches, okay? So the feast, I gave you the context, the history, the faith. Here's what it teaches us. First of all, it teaches us deliverance. We cannot save ourselves. You can't do it. Israel was stuck like Chuck. They had no power to fight, no power to leave. Have you ever felt trapped? Anybody ever felt trapped in a situation? Felt trapped at work? Trapped in a relationship? trapped in a habit, you fought against it, did everything you do, you, you knew to set yourself free, you couldn't do it. When it comes to salvation, here's what we need to know. Salvation from start to finish is a work of God. You don't earn your way into heaven. Coming to church is not a, 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 an attendance mark that you get that God puts in your account, and when he weighs your account, if you have more in the good than you do in the bad, you make it to heaven. It doesn't work that way. Salvation is by faith. It's a work of God from start to finish. In fact, the only thing that you and I contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. 
Martin Luther said this, when I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Christ, I don't see how I can be lost. Some of you need to shift your focus from yourself because you think, I'm not worthy to be saved. Listen, when the death angel passed through the camp, he wasn't looking to see who was worthy inside the house. Only thing he was looking for was the blood on the doorpost. Come on, somebody. We don't, we're not worthy, man. It's, it's not based on our worth. It's based on our birth. When you are born again, you are born into a family. Uh, number two, it, represents, it teaches us sacrifice. Sacri- not only deliverance, but Passover teaches us sacrifice. Somebody has to pay the price. Our sin creates debt, and there's a payment that is required, and you and I could never earn enough credit to pay that debt off. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you could ever pay. Somebody had to pay the price. You say, why the lamb? A little lamb didn't do anything wrong. No, but sin has a price to be paid. What else does it teach us? It teaches us grace. Grace is not deserving what you get. You just don't deserve what you get. The Israelites didn't deserve the promised land. They didn't deserve to be God's people. They didn't deserve a relationship with God, but they got it all. Say the feast. Say the faith. Now say the fulfillment. Okay, here's where I got to hustle. Here's where, if you'll notice, if you'll turn to the last page of this, of this handout. Okay, this is cool. The last page of this booklet. It shows how the, the feasts are grouped together and there's a prophetic calendar that's connected to the, these feasts. Each feast has a prophetic point in history. And you'll notice that the spring festivals and, and, the, and the, the, mid, the middle, the mid-harvest festivals, you'll see throughout this series that these things have already been accomplished. We'll see what the Passover points to because the Passover points to the first coming of Jesus. Jesus already came to this earth 2,000 years ago. So these festivals will show us what has already happened. In the fall festivals, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles, those feasts will point to things that have yet to happen. You'll see how intentional God is, not just in organizing and and commanding the festivals, but then in what would happen throughout human history, being connected back to what was established originally. The spring festivals, the early harvest, it points in that blank, filled in this, the first coming of Christ. Passover pointed to the first coming of Jesus. He already came. Now listen, he's coming back. Come on, somebody. He's coming back. But this points to his first arrival. So Passover speaks to us of the death of Jesus. Why did a lamb have to be offered? Why did the blood of a lamb have to be sprinkled on the doorpost? Why was this important? Because God was saving Israel when Israel couldn't save itself. And it was the blood of the lamb that would make a difference. This feast called Passover, it leads me to the cross. And I want to tell you this. You cannot preach Christ without the cross. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a a prophetic voice. He didn't just give parables and do a few miracles. Listen, he came 
to die. All of this points to the cross. The gospel is not some self-help, self-improvement, psychological gig. This thing is about Jesus laying down his life for us and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. The gospel is about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now notice Paul said that, that these feasts are just shadows pointing us to the substance of Christ. You know, when you see a shadow, sometimes you'll, like if the sun is shining and you see somebody coming, you'll see their shadow first. Watch this, watch this. You'll see their shadow first. But when they turn the corner and they show up, you no longer look at the shadow, you look at the person. Are you with me? Say, so Mike, why don't we do Passover now? Well, well, we, we, we do, but this represents the arrival of Jesus, so I no longer need the shadow. Mike, why don't we do the Seder at HPC? Well, we can, and it's great to remember, but all this points to Jesus who already came. And so I, I'm more committed to the substance of Christ than I am to the shadow of Christ. Are you with me? Let me say it this way. Don't let the Seder replace the Savior. Well, in a moment, we're going to receive communion, and we're going to connect to ancient history and as descendants of Abraham who have been grafted into the vine, we're going to recognize what God did for Israel thousands of years ago. But we're grateful for what God has done through Jesus for us today. You see, in the Old Testament, when they would eat the meal on Passover, they looked back to the exodus of them being delivered from Egypt. In a moment, we're going to receive communion. And we're not going to look back necessarily to the exodus from Egypt, but we're going to look to the cross, which represents the exodus of our souls from sin. Are you with me today? Listen, Jesus didn't just die at a random time on a random day. Listen, 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 listen. Let me, let me close. Let me wrap this up. Jesus died on Passover. Think about it. It wasn't accidental or coincidental. When he died on, we call it Good Friday, that was Passover. 2,000 years ago, the Jews were preparing for Passover. And here comes the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Now, the Lamb is a recurring theme throughout Scripture. Fascinating. Why would you choose a Lamb? You know, when teams, football teams, are getting ready to play and compete, there's no team called the Lambs. Kind of awkward, isn't it? Go fighting lambs. No. We like our fighting tigers and the jaguar. Man, you want a strong animal. Why a lamb? And yet God says, I'm choosing the lamb as the symbol of heaven. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold! the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Why? Because this lamb would be slaughtered and that blood would be applied. And it wasn't on the doorpost of a house, but it was on Mount Calvary. And as that blood flowed down the cross, all of humanity would have an opportunity to be saved. 
Some of you need to be delivered. And the blood of the Lamb is your access to freedom. Do you receive that today? Come on, church, can you put your hands together? Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.